Bible and you're sitting in a chair, there's Bibles in front. You can take one. They're free to you. Open that thing up to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to read something in a few minutes. We're actually going to read most of the Gospel of Luke. Have you enjoyed this going through Luke chapter by chapter? I'm telling you, I've said before, this has been a challenge for me. I'm used to going looking at the smaller details, but to force myself every week to look at one chapter, it's been a really a, a different exercise for me. And it's been, I'm like, I'm like standing back going, oh my goodness, Lord, the, the big picture you're painting chapter after chapter is just, is just amazing, giving us insight um, into Jesus, into kingdom living. And so Luke 14 is not going to disappoint you. So Luke 14, before we read anything, let me explain some things. We get a very unique glimpse into Jesus' world in Luke 14. See, up to this point in Jesus' life, we've been going through the gospel, and he's been teaching, and he's been healing, and, and he's been doing something else. He has been really messing with people's minds. He's confusing them. That's what you keep seeing in his interactions with the scribes and the Pharisees. These people really, we always kind of give a bad rap to scribes and Pharisees, and for some reason they should. But remember, these were the most devout religious people. A lot of them are you and me. They're the ones who came to church every Sunday and read their Bibles and paid tithes. And they were, they were wanting to do, live with for God, do things God's way. Matter of fact, they had the Old Testament law and they were trying to live by the letter of the law. And here comes Jesus, and he's preaching, and he's healing, and he's feeding multitudes with a little, a little lunch, and he's just totally confusing the people. See, the religious leaders just couldn't figure out um, if he was from God or not. They actually asked that question, who are you? Where's your authority come from? You know, was he from God? Was he just a fraud that needed to be, to be stopped? Was he deceiving the people? Because he didn't do things the way they thought God should do them. He did a lot of great things. He, he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he fed thousands, yet he didn't fit the mold of what they thought he should be like as a man who was, had a heart after God. He didn't do religion as they expected or believed was right, and they would say is legal according to their Old Testament law. And so in Luke 14, what we, we, we get this picture of Jesus doing this again, where he's, he's messing with people. He's saying and doing things that were different from what they expected or what they thought would be normal or right. And really what we find in Luke 14, and I need you to understand this, is insight into kingdom living. Remember, when you come to Jesus, what happens is you're, you're transferred you're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of God's Son, Jesus, rules and reigns. Something actually happens. You go to a different kingdom. You have a new ruler. He's now your provision and your protection. He's now in your kingdom. And what we find here in Luke 14 is getting insight into living, right living in the kingdom of God. Jesus shows us how God sees things and therefore, is helping us to see, if we see how God sees it, it helps us see how we ought to see things correctly. So as we look at what Jesus reveals as kingdom thinking, kingdom living, let's see how it lines up with how we think and then how our thinking is worked out in how we live. So Luke 14, let me set the, the, the setting for you. 
Luke 14 takes place at a meal, the whole chapter, at a meal in the house of a leading Pharisee. As Jesus is in this home, he asks some questions and he tells some stories as a way of getting people to see things differently. And he wants us to see things as he sees them, to understand the value system of God and to let that guide us in life. So let's start by reading what happened first um, at this meal and then find out what Jesus is saying about life in the kingdom. And as we do this in Luke 14, we're going to look at four principles for kingdom living. Now there's a whole bunch more, but in Luke 14, he's going to very clearly explain four principles of kingdom living. So let's start by reading the first section. Got your Bible open to 14? Let's read the first six verses. It says this. It happened that when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. Remember, he's messing with them, and they're trying to figure him out. Verse 2. And there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. And Jesus answered, and it's interesting, a lot of people think, let me get the sidebar here, a a lot of scholars believe that man that was sick was a plant. A lot of them believe they did it on purpose to try to trip him up because it's a Sabbath day. So a lot of guys are saying it wouldn't make sense that they had the sick guy in the crowd. So think of that. They're trying trying to figure this guy out. They're trying to trip him up. And there in front of him was this man suffering from dropsy. And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers, and that's the religious lawyers, and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they kept silent. And he took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could make no reply to this. Now, Jesus does something here that Luke mentions repeatedly. If you've been paying attention, you've been paying attention to the first 14 chapters of Luke, you'll see that there's a a resounding theme in many of the chapters. He talks about Jesus healing somebody on the Sabbath. Luke just says it over and over and over again. And here we have Jesus healing someone on the Sabbath. And we've got to ask ourselves, why does he keep repeating this? What's going on here? What's Jesus trying to communicate? He's trying to communicate the first principle of of kingdom living, and it's this. And I'll tell you four, and I'll repeat them, and I'll tell you them again at the end. So the first principle of kingdom living that's coming from Luke 14 is this, that people are more important than rules. It's hard for some of us who are rule followers. It's really hard for the Pharisees. People are more important than rules. Here we have Jesus, let's put it in context, a Jewish man they consider to be a rabbi, a Jew, healing on the Sabbath. The Ten Commandments of the Old Testament law included the commandment from Exodus 20, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. And here we have a rule, but not just a rule. Let's let's think of this. The rule of the Sabbath was the main rule that distinguished the Jewish people from the rest of the ancient Near East. The one thing, they all had religious rules, but the thing 
that most distinguished them from the rest of the people in the ancient Near East was that one out of seven days they didn't work. That was unheard of. They rested and they worshiped and they did nothing else. They wouldn't even go to battle on the Sabbath day. And here we have Jesus healing someone, a rabbi of all people, healing someone on the Sabbath, something the Jewish leaders considered work because he wasn't just resting or worshiping, which they believed to be against their law. They believed it to be, to be unlawful on the Sabbath. So what is Jesus doing? Why does he do this over and over? Luke says it over. Later today, go back through your Bible and look through 1, 1 through 14 and go, there it is again, there it is again, there it is again. He just keeps teaching on healing on the Sabbath. Why is he doing this? Because he's teaching something important about kingdom living. He's saying, listen, you're misunderstanding what it's like, what it means to follow God, to live like God. You're misunderstanding it. You have the rules, but you're, you're seeing the letters. You're not understanding the spirit. And he's saying, this is the heart of God. And it's this, that people are more important than rules. So he says something kind of, you know, just to make them understand how foolish they are. He says, you know, if your son or your ox fell in a hole on the Sabbath, you wouldn't stop from doing the work of rescuing them. You would drag them out of the hole, right? He says, of course you would. He's saying people are more important than rules. This seems nice and easy. Yeah, yeah, people are more important than rules. You'd take a kid out of a, out of a well or an ox out of a ditch on a Sabbath. Of course, you're going to keep them from dying, keep them from getting hurt. Seems nice and easy and safe to say as long as it's in the context of the Jewish Sabbath, you know, them keeping the Jewish Sabbath and healing a man of dropsy and the illustrations he uses of the boy and the ox. Say, oh yeah, oh, that's cool, that's 2,000-year-old stuff. But what about in our lives today? This kingdom principle is just as controversial today as it was back then for them. What if we apply this idea today that people are more important than rules? What if we apply it to something today that's incredibly hard to figure out? Something like immigration. Instead of Sabbath keeping, we say, how do you apply it to the principle of, the, of immigration in America today? Now, I'm not going to open up a political debate to, this morning, and I realize that there is no easy answers to issues like things like immigration And I know from Scripture, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that God has established civil government to create rules and laws and have have people who enforce things. That's biblical. But how does kingdom thinking affect you and me, people who claim to be followers of Jesus on an issue like immigration? Well, at minimum, because I'm not going to solve it today, but what I want to do is make make us think. At minimum it must put a human face on it. At minimum, it must put a human face on it. There are people who have fallen in a hole of poverty and oppression for one reason and one reason only. They were born in one country and we were born in another. That's it. There's no other... You know what the single greatest determination on how you will turn out economically in your life is? Do you know what the the single... One thing that determines more than any, more than your intelligence, more than your work ethic, more than your family. You know what the number one thing is? The zip code you were born in. 
The zip code you were born in is the number one determining factor of how you'll turn out in your life. You go, but I worked really hard. You worked really hard because you had really good opportunity. And me too. But in this issue, just think about it. The people fell into a hole of poverty and oppression simply because of where they are born. So what does it look like to live out people are more important than rules? Well, at minimum, it must mean that given the opportunity, I must show love and concern for people who are hurting and helpless. That people must be more important than rules in my life. That's the first thing Jesus is doing here. Now, we're not going to solve it today. I'm not even going to try to solve it today. I just want to mess with you today the way Jesus messed with people. So you think about it and go, what does it mean to really live in the kingdom? Take it out of context from 2,000 years ago with ox, you know, an ox or a guy with dropsy and move it into the real world that we live in every day that the news talks about and, and, and we have to think about and we have to you know, vote for people who talk about. What's it mean? That people are more important than rules. That's the first kingdom principle that Jesus reveals here. Ready to move on to the next? You go, please do, Pastor Mark. Move on to the next. Well, at, while Jesus is at dinner with these Pharisees, at this Pharisee's home, Jesus sees something going on and tells a story to point out another kingdom principle. So look at a few verses later, verses 7 to 11. Let's look at that. And he began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, when you are invited by, remember this is a story telling a parable here, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who has invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this man, and then in disgrace, you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, then you will have, have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone, verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is telling the story about how you should select your seat at a wedding feast that you are better off selecting a less honorable seat and then being asked to move up to a more honorable seat than the opposite happening to you and being embarrassed. And he ends the story with verse 11. Look at verse 11 again. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So what's the kingdom principle Jesus is trying to reveal here? How's this messing with people, showing there's a different way of thinking? What's the kingdom principle here? I believe it's this that we should recognize the human tendency to see ourselves as most important and confront that in ourselves. That we should recognize this very consistent human tendency to see ourselves as the most important person and confront that inside of ourselves. See, it's normal in the world to view ourselves as the most important. In fact, I would say it's the American way. But Jesus is saying it's not the kingdom way. 
In the kingdom of God, Jesus turns everything upside down. But no, no, what he really does is he turns everything right side up. He teaches what God has always intended for his people to understand, but something that has been turned upside down by the reality of sin and brokenness in our world. And as we live with Jesus, we begin to see this error in ourselves, this tendency to always see ourselves, our needs, our wants as most important. And we begin to recognize that Jesus didn't think like this. Take your Bible and turn with me a couple, chapter, a couple books back to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians 2, the apostle Paul is writing, and he explains how Jesus saw others as more important than himself. Now imagine this before we even read it in, in Philippians 2. This is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the creator of the world. He has existed in the Trinity from, for all of creation, for all of eternity. We can't even fathom it. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, living in perfect harmony and unity and love. And Jesus comes down to earth in order to reveal the reality of God in a more understandable way and to die and give his life in place of lost humanity to break the curse of sin and death over humanity and rise from the dead and say, now I have broken the curse over humanity that came through sin. I have now broken it and you can now live for me. That's Jesus, right? This guy is the smartest man because he became a man, the smartest, most capable man in the history of all mankind. And this is what it says about Jesus. Look at Philippians 2, starting in verse 3. Paul's talking about how to live, but then he applies it to Jesus. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. And you can stop right there and go, wow, Paul, that's that's a pretty challenging thing to say that to me. You know, I really, if you're really going to apply it, kind of like applying the last one, people are more important than rules. How do I really apply this to my life that other people think of them as more important? Matter of fact, you know how I applied this one time as a brand new believer? Leah, me and your dad were living in an apartment with a guy named Jeff. And Jeff got married. And because he married a gal who had a child, they had to keep the child in the school district where our apartment was. And I was reading this verse of scripture. And the Lord said, Mark and Gary move out of the apartment and leave it for Jeff and his new wife, Susie. Because I said, consider yourself other people more important. It was the first time the Lord ever spoke to me about this verse. That listen, it was, I didn't have to move. He was the one to get married. But we said, no, no, we'll move. It's easier for us to move than you to move. Consider other people more important. So you go, okay, I could apply that in my life. and It's got real life ramifications. But start reading again in verse five. Having this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. In other words, he gave it up. Verse 7, but he emptied himself that, that from the reality of his godness, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, being hum- he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I want us to notice here um, what Paul's teaching, that we should f- 
follow, he's saying, the example of Jesus. Jesus, the creator of the world, put others before himself. And he's saying that's what we should do. We also put others ahead of ourselves. Not just like Joe Schmo down the street, but like God himself. I think a really good thing for us to do this week, this Thanksgiving week, would be to daily meditate on Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Stick a bookmarker in there. Philippians 2, 3 through through 8. And ask the Holy Spirit to help us become more like Jesus in this quality. Of recognizing my human tendency to see myself as the most important. But instead to be like Jesus and recognize that I should actually see other people's needs around me and realize how important they are and be like Jesus and actually give up my right for the betterment of another person. When you think it would be a really good Thanksgiving exercise, meditate on it. Mull it over slowly. Read it through three or four times. Let the Spirit ingrain it into your soul and your spirit. It'll change our lives. So kingdom principles that Jesus is teaching in, in Luke 14. The first one, people are more important than rules. Number two, recognize a human tendency to see others um, as, as most important, more important, or seeing ourselves as more important than others and challenge that inside of us. Say, I want to become more like Jesus. And kingdom principle number three, see the value in, the marginal, in marginalized people because God does. See the value in marginalized people because God does. Look back at Luke 14. Turn back from Philippians. Look at verses 12 through 15. Remember, this is all happening. Jesus is all one teaching. Jesus is teaching at a dinner at a Pharisee's house. Verse 12, and he also went on to say to one who had invited him, so the Pharisee who invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. And you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." And one of those who reclining at the table with him heard this and said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Again, Jesus is at this meal with a leading religious leader and I have to imagine that what happens here is he looks around the room and he notices something. He notices who isn't invited. Remember what this is. This is kind of a red carpet event. Jesus is this guy who's stirring it up. He's a rabbi. He's stirring up. Everybody wants to be with them. This very well-connected Pharisee has this dinner party, brings Jesus in. All the wealthy, all the influential, all the people who are somebody, and who's missing? The marginalized. The poor, the crippled, the lame, the outcast. And Jesus looks at this and explains He's saying this, but that's not how it should be in my Father's kingdom. 
That's not how it's supposed to be in the kingdom. All are welcome in the kingdom. Everyone is valuable in the kingdom. Everyone is important in the kingdom. Matter of fact, if you read the Beatitudes as the entrance of the Sermon on the Mount, that's exactly what he's saying. No matter who you are, you're welcome in the kingdom of God. That's the message he's been trying to teach over and over and over. Everybody is valuable in the kingdom. This got me to thinking. Who are the marginalized in our community? Who are the marginalized in my little world? Who are the people that nobody invites? Who are the people that everybody overlooks? And then the follow-up question, how can we show value to them? How can we do it? From this story, we see that it can be as easy as inviting them, as easy as including them. This is the perfect week. I always think God orchestrates things exactly. This is the perfect week to wrestle with this kingdom principle because who, in, who could we invite? Who could you invite to Thanksgiving that's generally overlooked? Who could you pick up on the way to church Tuesday night so they could hear stories about how God is so real that he does amazing things? You want to hear some of these stories. You want to hear... Tuesday night, the story of miracle after miracle after miracle about OCS in the last 12 months. You're going to get to hear that on Tuesday night. You're going to hear the story of, of, of someone who, who um, had a, a miracle of, of living right in front of a person that at one point actually had a gun and said, if you would have stepped over the line in my house, I would have shot you dead. And how they lived a godly way and it affected this person. Who could you bring with you who's marginalized? Who's hurting? Who no one gives the time of day that you could invite with you and say, hey, come have some pie with me. Someone who everybody else tends to overlook. Who is the spirit bringing to your mind right now? Matter of fact, I want us to do something right now. Close your eyes with me. Just for a moment. Who is the Lord bringing to your mind? What picture what face are you seeing? What name is coming to your heart and your, your soul right now? God's real and active enough to right now show you someone in your world who's very marginalized. You can look at me. What are we going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? Am I going to ignore? Are you going to ignore the voice of the Spirit that just spoke to your heart right now? Or are we going to act on it? I want you to notice something here from the context. This is a big deal to God. Because Jesus points out that when you include the marginalized, that you will, have, you will be repaid by God himself at the end of the age. Look at verse 14. And you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. It's a big deal to God. It doesn't say here. You know what it doesn't say? And Pastor Mark, when you preach the best sermon on the, in the history of the world... And you get next year 700 shoeboxes. 
that you will be rewarded the kingdom of the righteous. Now, I think that's part of it. But he, he isolates this. He holds it up. And he says, if you will minister to the marginalized, you'll love the marginalized. He actually points it out. And he says, you will be rewarded by me at the resurrection of the righteous. That makes it a big deal. See the value in the marginalized because God does. And it's going to be as simple as inviting them into your world. If the man would have just invited them to the dinner party, Jesus would have said, and I see what you're doing here. You understand the Father. There's one more kingdom principle that I see in Luke 14 that, that we need to hear today. And it comes out of verses 16 to 24. Let's look at that together. And he said to him, a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. Jesus likes to talk about eating. I like that. And at the dinner hour, I was having a conversation with somebody before church. They were saying Thanksgiving's about turkey. No, it's not. It's about the stuffing. You know that's true. It's about the stuffing. Turkey, turkey's just a filler. It's just a, it's just a mechanism through which you get the stuffing. Am I right? Okay, verse 16, let's start over again. And he said to him, a man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five oxen, a yoke of oxen, and I am going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I've been married, I've married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to the master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slaves, Go out at once into the streets and the lanes and of the city and bring in here the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the slave said, Master, What you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. Remember, he's talking about the kingdom here, his house. For I tell you, none of these men who are intended or invited shall taste any of my dinner. Jesus starts by remaking some of the same points before. Include the marginalized, but then he ramps it up. Look at verse 23. And the master said to the slave, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in. Say compel with me. Compel. Compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. Compel them to come into the kingdom of God, the family of God. Kingdom living is about intentionality. The fourth principle of kingdom living is compel them to come in. Kingdom living is about intentionality. It's about effort. It's about doing things on purpose. You and me going to the marginalized and to anyone else. He's not saying any of these things to to disrespect those who are not lame, not blind, not poor. Matter of fact, are wealthy and have everything. He's not saying it against them. He's just saying what happens is no one forgets them. They're the first one to get the party invitation but everybody forgets the marginalized. And he says, in my kingdom, I not only want you to remember them, 
I want you to compel them. I want you to put effort, energy into it. Make it a priority to reach the marginalized. It made me think. When was the last time I compelled somebody? Did put energy and effort in. Not, not, in a, not in a bad way, not in an oppressive way, but compelled them to consider a life with Jesus in the kingdom. When was the last time you compelled somebody, you put energy and effort to get somebody to consider the realities of life with Jesus in the kingdom of God? It's easy not to do this. We get all caught up in our lives and we forget about what's most important, bringing other people to meet their Savior, the one who loves them, the one who died for them. You know, friends, the holiday season is here. And this is probably the easiest time of the year to compel your friends and your family and the marginalized. And think of this in regard to your family. Who's the marginalized in your very family? Who's the brother, uncle, cousin, friend, you know, neighbor, whatever, but in your family who no one wants to invite? No one wants to invite. They're crabby, they're difficult, they're no fun. You all have one. If you don't, you're probably the person. <laughs> Think about it. Because everybody, every family has them. We can compel them to come, to put some energy and some effort into it, to say, no, 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 I really want you to come. No, 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 I don't don't want to hear no. I really want you to. Matter of fact, I will pick you up. We compel them to come, to, to tell them how good Jesus is to me and to you. Invite them to dinner, invite them to church so they can come to know the Savior. They can come to know the King of the Kingdom. Remember, it's all about right kingdom living. He's saying, this is normal living for the people who live in the kingdom. That's why Jesus stirred things up. The Pharisees didn't want to hear this. They're like, no, 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 I like my dinner party the way it is. All my red carpet people, all the rich, all the, well, because when I'm with them, I feel good. You want to really feel good about yourself? I'm not talking about a once a year holiday, go to, the, go to the street mission and serve soup thing. You begin to spend time with people who are marginalized. We had the privilege of two years of our life working in a street mission. I never felt so valued in my life. I also was not ever lied to as much in my entire life. Suzanne gave my socks away. She'd believe any lie they told her. You know, I'm like, honey, they want our money to buy booze. You know, oh no, they need your socks. No, they don't. There's free socks right there. You know, we learned a lot. But you'll never feel more, marginal, or more, more valued than when you spend time with the marginalized. I love when we do things like the gathering. We have our gathering coming up pretty quick. A while, a while you'll see it in the thing. We go to the gathering and we serve people who, who are the marginalized in our community. But beyond that, there's marginalized who live on your street. It's the old cat lady who never comes out of her house. Maybe she won't come, but maybe you could take a plate of Thanksgiving dinner over there. We got a neighbor next to us they're Asian. They have nothing to do with anybody. The only time we ever see them is when we bake them apple pies and take them to their door and knock on their door. And they can't figure out why we give them apple pies. OCS apple pies, by the way. They can't figure it out. 
Five years, it hasn't seen them do a whole lot of good, but five years, they've got five apple pies, and they're like, at least these people are nice next to us. For some reason, they keep giving us apple pies right around Thanksgiving every year. They're marginalized. The husband doesn't even speak a word of English. No one else is reaching out to them. Who in your family is the marginalized? Who in your church is the marginalized? Who in your block or your, you know, whatever, where you work? The person that nobody else likes at work. Sit by them at lunch. Show them that they're important. Sounds that we tell fourth graders that applies to us. So, Jesus in chapter 14 gives four principles of kingdom living that are that will turn our world upside down. They're kind of things that reason they killed Jesus. They killed him because he said this stuff. Because it messes with your life. But it gives you the right life. It gives you the good and beautiful life that God intends for you. Don't buy the lie that the world tells you that the other way of thinking, the way he's challenging, is a better life. It's not. That's why people medicate themselves in every possible way when they live that life. You know, booze and drugs and whatever else. Why? Why? Because it just doesn't bring satisfaction. Being used of God brings satisfaction, joy, and contentment to your life. So what are the four principles from this chapter? Number one, people are more important than rules. Number two, recognize the human tendency to see ourselves as the most important and just challenge that in ourselves. Number three, see the value um, in the marginalized because God does. And number four, compel the marginalized and everyone to come to Jesus. I think we could just re-preach a sermon every week and say, God, help it work it, work it into my heart because I'm nowhere near having this complete in me. But I want to be better today than I was yesterday, right? Let's stand together. Father, here's our prayer today. In light of your word, and thank you for, again, the challenge that you gave us to take the Gospel of Luke and take it chapter by chapter because as we look at the whole chapter... We can't isolate these things. They're just boom, 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 rapid fire all together from one dinner party. And we see it all and, and we see, recognize, wow, you're just trying to say there's a different way to live in your kingdom. And Lord, I confess it's not the way I've been raised. It's not the way our society lives or promotes But we understand, Jesus, you taught it is the best way. It's the only way. It's the way that changes the world. It's a way that reaches people. It's a way that gives contentment and joy to our lives. So, Father, reshape our thinking. Help us to see life the way you see it. Because as we see it and we think it, then we will act according to it. So help these truths that we've looked at today to just begin to, to work down into our soul. This week, as, as some of us take the challenge to take Philippians 2, 3 to 8, and just meditate on it, just read it over slowly, over and over slowly, and, and kind of chew on it. Lord, help us to digest it so it becomes part of us. It literally becomes part of us. Because here's what we want, Lord. Maybe we didn't even know this when we walked in the door today, but we want, honestly, we want to be different. We want to be like Jesus. And so, Father, we give our open hearts to you today and we say, Lord, 
work these things out in us for your glory. As we're in prayer this morning, I wasn't gonna, I was just gonna stop right there, but I wanna I wanna add one more thing. So just keep our eyes closed and our heads bowed. One more thing. Maybe you're here today and you are the marginalized person. Maybe not. But you felt overlooked at least, or at least you realize, you realize this, that you don't fit. That you're sitting in here today and you're watching people clap their hands, sing songs, and there's smiles on their faces, and they're willingly sitting here listening to a message from God's Word that's challenging them to change and be different and give up their rights and, and be molded and shaped. And, and, you know, the stuff that got Jesus killed, we're trying to say, God, make us like that. And you know in your heart that you don't fit. Because you've not yet come to know Jesus as your Savior. You've not yet come to the place, maybe today's the first day you heard about it, but you've not come to the place in your life where you've given your heart to Christ. He gave his life for you and he has open arms. That's why he died on the cross, open arms to receive you. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. The words of Jesus. And today, he's calling you to be his own. He's saying, I want you to come to me and I want to forgive you of your sins. I want to make you brand new and I want to reshape you. I want to make you like we're reading about. I want to make you into a brand new person who lives in my kingdom. But you know you're outside the kingdom. You didn't even know there was a kingdom maybe of God. But today you're saying, I need Jesus. And I don't have him in my life. As we're in prayer and our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if that's you today, I want you to do something really bold between you, me, and God because no one else is looking around. If you say, Pastor Mark, I'm ready to say, yes, I need Jesus. I want you to raise up your hand nice and high. All right? All right? Hands all over this place. All over this place. You can put your hands down. I want to invite us all to pray together. Every person in this place, there's probably a dozen people who are saying this morning, saying, I want, I want to ask Jesus into my life. And I'm going to ask our whole church family, a lot of you have already said yes to Jesus. We're all going to pray together. And I'm going to invite you, if you raised your hand, I want you to take this next bold step and you're going to just pray, pray out loud. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to shout, just pray out loud and say this because we're going to talk to God there's nothing special about the words they're not magical words they're just words of talking to God who's here right now and you're going to you're going to join with the rest of us you're going to say you're going to be saying yes to Jesus you're going to say come into my life so let's pray this way this morning dear Jesus I need you I want you in my life I'm on the outside looking in. I want to come into your family. So today, I welcome you into my life. I want to turn from my old life where I was God and want to live a new life where you are God. 
So on this day, I ask you to receive me as your child. And on this day, I welcome you to be the Savior and the Lord of my life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that this morning, I want you to write it down somewhere in your diary, in a notebook, and say, on on Thanksgiving week, 2019, I said yes to Jesus. Because your world is going to change from this day forward. And I'm going to ask you to do something else. Before your head hits the pillow tonight, I'm going to encourage you. I'm assuming you're here because you probably know somebody else who's a Christian. I want you to tell someone else. Say, today I gave my life to Christ. Because what's going to happen is they're going to start praying for you and they're also going to help you. And they can't help you if they don't know. There's this kind of the debunk this idea that spirituality is private. God brought you into a family today. He brought you into a family. Now, you might not even live here and you're going to be part of a family somewhere else, but today he brought you into a family of people who care for you. And that's what the kingdom of God is. And so it's not private. It's, it's you becoming part of a family. Tell someone so we can help you. If you're from around here, we welcome you into our church family. We'll help you any way we can. We want to see you grow and develop and become all that God has for you. He's got an incredible life waiting for you as you walk with him. And so before your head hits the pillow tonight, tell someone. The Bible says something else. I think we looked at it last week, didn't we? Or is this next week? I think it's next week. Look at the text where it says it's next week. There's more joy in heaven when one person is found than 99 who are already there. We're going to look at it. That's part of our sermon next week. The party in heaven that happens when one person says yes to Jesus. According to Luke 15, there's like Mardi Gras going on in heaven right now. That's basically what it's saying. There's Mardi Gras going on in heaven because like a dozen of you said yes to Jesus today. Probably because somebody compelled you to come. God is good, isn't he? He loves you that much. Friends, God can change our families. He can change our communities one person at a time by coming to Jesus. Let me pray a blessing over you as you're done. Then if you want to talk or you want to pray, we'll be up here to pray with you and talk with you. Um, Then you can, but if if not, you're going to be free to be dismissed. But let me pray a blessing over you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.